Are you ready to give your employees and customers smooth, secure digital experiences? Then you need Ping Identity as an identity security pioneer. Ping champions your unique identity so your employees can be productive rock stars and your customers can engage with your brand wherever and however they want with lovable digital experiences. I'm the chief identity champion and I'm here to help. Visit pingidentity.com today. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm Tim Eccles, and we're going down under today. Casey Boyce, my co-host, he's not so down under. He's in he's in Decatur, Georgia. Casey, how's it going this morning? I, I mean, compared to you in Jackson County, I probably am down under. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but we're going really down under to Australia. Oh, that down under, yeah. okay. <laughs> and I can't even say Australia the way that I'm supposed to say it, but our guests certainly can, and it's great to uh, great to welcome into our COVID studio studio Saul Griffith from Australia and he's actually coming to us from there how's it going Saul thank you Tim thank you KC uh the correct pronunciation of Australia is Straya spelled S-T-R-A-Y-A Straya mate Straya yeah yeah there you go okay you got it Australia. so uh, I'll try and I don't like to think of us as down under quite frankly I'm feeling on top of the world (laughs) Okay. (laughs) well it is great to have you on today you spent a lot of time in america but you you've wound up back there so uh give us give us the thumbnail of your journey to america and 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 back it sounds like a hobbit actually uh there and back uh so what 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 brought you to america i first came to america in 1996 to go to uc berkeley and i did a year of study abroad there um, following that, I did the traditional Australian uh, walkabout, and I sort of wandered around the world for two or three years. I lived in Scotland, in Hong Kong. I lived in Zimbabwe. I hitchhiked across Southern Africa. Um, returned with... It, and I have to tell you, Salt, sorry to interrupt, but uh, so I spent some time in the South Pacific and ran into a bunch of Aussies that were doing the walkabout. I, I love that tradition. I mean, like every so often, they will literally sell everything and just travel until the money's all gone and then they'll go back home and repeat the cycle it's, it's a great tradition my mother i still remember uh, she dropped me at the airport age 19 i had a thousand dollars in my pocket and i had bought a one-way ticket to alaska and she said you know she cried and kissed me and said good luck she said how on earth will you get home you don't have enough money for a flight home i said i'll figure it out and that's the australian walkabout tradition <laughs> um After that walkabout, I actually came back to the U.S. and did a Ph.D. at MIT, which was an incredible experience. Um, I have to say I really loved the environment at Cambridge and Massachusetts and MIT, and the the rigor at MIT is unparalleled in the world. That finished up in about 2004, and I moved to the Bay Area, as you do, uh, to, you know, everyone goes west to find their fortune. And I moved to the Bay Area to start companies and uh, started a company called Squid Labs, which uh, we actually spun out a bunch of companies from there. One was Instructables. We sold Autodesk. We started a wind energy company called Makani. We sold to Google. And after those efforts, I started a company called Other Lab in 2009 and have been working on climate and energy technologies and to a lesser extent robotics ever since. Uh, and I returned to Australia about five weeks ago uh, just to be closer to my family and to give my kids a break from the COVID experience in the US. So you've, you, you've gone back to Australia uh, to, to Nearly there, away from- Stra- Australia. 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 There you go. Going back to Australia. He's he's trying. <coughs> yeah. To to. A, I'm not going to. <laughs> to escape COVID. And what did you find down down under there? Is there a lot of COVID down there? Um, zero community transmission of COVID for 14 days now. Um, 
the only COVID in Australia, and for context, it's a population of 26 million, are the cases that are in a, a mandatory two-week hotel quarantine. So the only cases coming into the country are coming in on airplanes and they are required to spend two weeks. So Australia has done a very good job with our nanny state of suppressing this virus. So tell me about you know, some of these sustainability projects that, that you're working on now or that's recently teed up and that you're commercializing. So at our company in the US, Other Lab, um, we have a company called Sunfolding, which does utility scale tracking devices. So that's the little robot that makes the solar panels track the sun through the day. Uh, it's, it's doing well and delivering units throughout the US. Um, we have an a offshore wind energy project that's just starting up. Um, a project that I'm really excited about right now that is starting to do its first commercial insta- installations is a thermal energy storage technology called Sensible Heat. That's a way to electrify the, the heating system, space heat and water heat in the home, but do it in a way that, that also provides a huge amount of demand response and grid storage. Uh, we also have an air conditioning company that we've booted up uh, called Tro, which is doing zero emission air conditioning units that are much higher efficiency, but also use natural refrigerants to eliminate the refrigerant emissions from air conditioning. Uh, above and beyond that, we have some projects in um, efficiency and, and uh, energy storage in hydrogen compression um, in, and, uh, anyway, uh, and also in a rooftop solar company that we're, we've got going. And the rooftop solar company is trying to replicate the Australian to tie it to where I am, the Australian experience in rooftop solar in the United States. So unfortunately for for Australians, you can now go and buy, make a phone call and the following day, somebody will turn up and they will install solar on your roof for $1.20 a watt. That is phenomenally low. That is unsubsidized. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, the government had, uh, uh, supplies an additional subsidy on top of that. So the penciled cost of electricity from solar in Australia is five to six cents per kilowatt hour after financing. That is lower than the cost of any grid provided electricity in the US. The average US utility price is 13.8 cents a kilowatt hour. In fact, the distribution and transmission cost alone in the US averages seven to eight cents. So the cost of Australian rooftop, even if you could create electricity for free in Australia, the grid can't deliver it uh, at a price lower than Australian rooftop solar. Australia has achieved that um, with the same labor cost structures as the US and a very similar housing stock. So there's no magic apart from the regulatory reforms required to streamline this um, and then some training and certification problems, uh, programs that train certified installers, which helps eliminate the soft costs in the US, which are around permitting and et cetera. And unfortunately in, in, in the US today, the unsubsidized cost of solar is close to $3 a watt. In reality, that pencils at 15 to 20 cents a kilowatt hour, which on the reason it's expensive in the US solar and, and it's hard to sell is because it's not yet at grid parity. That's not a technology cost problem. That's a soft cost, regulatory permitting and regulatory problem. As you look at the grid in Australia, uh, as you look at the grid down there, uh, what, what, what is, is it gas? Is it coal? Is it nuclear energy? H- how much are the renewables? Uh, do you have, you know, I guess you have, you know, state power companies or they have monopolies. How, how does it differ from say, uh, a Georgia where we're doing our show? We have um, utilities in all the different states. They're not uh, state-sponsored monopolies the same way it is in the US. So we've had um, a regulatory reform here, which makes the electricity markets more competitive state by state. It doesn't look hugely different than the US, um, apart from a little bit cleaner and less monopoly. the there's a lot of wind going in here there's a huge amount of solar uh south australia is now reporting multiple days a week where they use zero fossil fuels to power the whole grid Um, they've installed pioneered huge grid scale batteries in south australia that helps them do that Um, the penetration of rooftop solar in some zip codes is 
over 50% of homes uh, because it's so cost effective. Um, the energy story in Australia is complicated. We are an enormous <coughs> exporter of energy. That's nearly all coal. It's also a little bit of, or quite a lot of uranium. It's a lot of natural gas. It's not a lot of oil. Australia has lied successfully to the IPCC about what our emissions are. So we only take the domestically used energy as our emissions and we don't, we ignore the fact that we, you know, most of Australia's emissions are Australian coal being burnt in China to make American, to make products that are used in American Europe. Um, there was an amazing state, couple of statements in the press over the last few weeks in Australia, which there are contingencies here getting real political traction, dedicating Australia to be 700% renewable by 2050. Now, you're probably scratching your head. What on earth does 700% renewable means? That means not only completely decarbonizing the domestic energy supply, that's the first 100%, but making us what they want to do here is make Australia a renewables zero carbon superpower is the is the narrative and we will be exporting Australian generated solar and wind either as electricity over cables to our neighbors to the north or as hydrogen or ammonia around the world so Australia is is starting to really set its ambitions on climate at uh, very high and quite honestly America could be doing that too Hey, I, I, we got to bring him back, Casey. We got to we got to do another segment. Uh, so stick around uh, because I want I've got some more questions. I want to know how they're powering stuff at night. I want to hear about these kangaroos that are on these treadmills that are powering all this stuff uh, in the evening. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but stick around. We're going to bring Saul back. He's down under, and Casey Boyce. He's in Decatur, uh, and uh, and I'm in Atlanta. So stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. We'll be right back. You come from Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how? We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Commissioner Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. And what a fun day, Casey. We don't often get anyone from out of Georgia, let alone from down under on our show here today. And it's great having Saul. Casey, you learned anything about uh, about the grid yet today? Well, I'm just curious to hear more about these kangaroo-powered treadmill things that you mentioned, Tim, and I'm hoping they show up in the next integrated resource plan that comes before the commission. So, but no, in, in all seriousness, uh, Saul, you know, you mentioned that Australia's got this uh, this goal not only to be 100% renewable, but to actually export renewable energy through, you know, undersea cables and, and liquid uh, fuels that are, are generated uh, through renewable energy. But, you know, for the time being, 
seeing, uh, and you mentioned South Australia, how there are days on end that it's it's running off of renewables. How are they doing that overnight? So uh, it's by having a mix of renewables. So it's by having hydro and wind in the mix. Um, and Australia is also, you know, I want, I don't want to straight paint Australia as perfect. What I, what I might say, and just to tie it to where we were before the break, Australia is like the leading experiment in how this is going to work in the world. And the reason that is true is because we have low population density, electricity is expensive here, but so are fuels. So we have very high retail costs of natural gas because distribution is expensive, very high retail costs of gasoline. And we also have high retail costs of electricity, like 25 to 30 cents a kilowatt hour high. Sounds kind of like Hawaii. It's a Hawaii at scale. And because of that, we're getting to run all of these experiments early and everything that's going to be cost effective in Georgia five years from now is starting to be cost effective in Australia today because you're competing with a more expensive incumbent. And so quite honestly, the costs of batteries and the costs of solar today in Australia makes it possible to you know, generate the solar during the day, store it overnight to run all of your devices overnight and make it work out. Let me ask you, Saul, let me ask you this, because you were at UC Berkeley, you spent time in California. The housing stock in Australia, uh, is it is it super energy efficient or would you say they've got a long way to go in terms of tightening up the envelope on the, the housing stock down there? Embarrassingly, Australian homes are now the largest homes in the world. So I, I don't want to boast on an American radio show about this, but America, we dethroned you as owning the largest homes in the world. Uh, not only are they the largest, they're probably less efficient than yours in reality. Uh, it's a milder climate, so there's not a lot of insulation here. Um, and really, there has been a, such a long-standing emphasis on the efficiency of homes. I think what you're really missing is it's the electrification of the home that provides the biggest efficiency. So if you start heating that home with heat pumps, um, and you electrify all of the other end uses in that home, that home's going to use a lot less energy than a fossil fuel powered home. And you know, that you, you, 60 or 70% energy reductions come about from the electrification of the home. And then you can add efficiency on top of that. But the most cost-effective first thing is to electrify your heat and electrify all of your end uses. And then yes, envelope, sealing your envelope and insulating, that all improves the situation. Um, but I think we have to date a little too much emphasis on efficiency and not enough emphasis on the end game, which is electrification, which provides this massive efficiency win. And that's the experience we're seeing in Australia. So there's not a huge emphasis on efficiency retrofits. It's actually just adding solar, adding batteries, adding heat pumps. And that's what is the winning recipe here. And it's economic today. So Saul, maybe this is a good stepping off point. Before we started recording today, you were mentioning some work that you were doing on uh, a project uh, or a plan that could help save Americans something like $2,500 annually uh, in energy costs. Uh, Talk a little bit about what you're doing and and kind of what that would look like in the US. I've heard uh, you describe your show as a bunch of energy nerds, the type of people who listen to radio show about energy on a Saturday. Um, I don't want to out nerd you, but my hobby is energy data. So for 20 years, I've been collecting all of the energy (laughs) data in the world. And I can, I've even, I've read every footnote that the Department of Energy and the Energy Information Administration has on every data set and where it comes from. It's, I don't know, it's kind of (laughs) interesting. I can tell you some, there's some pretty (laughs) interesting stories. 10% of the energy that Americans think they use never actually existed. It's It's an accounting curiosity for how do you deal with renewables in the terms defined by fossil fuels of primary energy. So there you go. I just told you that it's 10% easier to solve climate change than you think because of an accounting error. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, we use that data to actually build out a model of what does it look like to completely decarbonize every American household. Not just the household and the the heat and the water heat in that household, but also all the cars associated with it. So there's 1.9 cars per US household. The average household spends $62,000 a year, about $4,500 a year of that expenditure is on fuels. We spend more on gasoline in America, about $1,950 a year than we do on education. Uh, sorry, than, than we do on all of our food. We spend more on electricity, about $1,500 than we do on education in that household. So these expenses are significant. And then we we took the state energy data system, which has models for how much energy of, is used of each type in every home. And we built a model for every single state in the country 
of the existing costs of fossil fuels and then we built a model of what it would cost to electrify those homes. So how much will it cost to put a heat pump in, to do the space heat, another heat pump to do the water heat? How much does it cost to add batteries for the cars? How much for two electric car chargers? We added in a main panel upgrade because you'll need to manage a whole bunch more electricity in that house. We also modeled in the cost of converting a stove to an induction stove, which not only lowers your energy use, but um, in improves the air quality in your home. And we modeled out the capital costs of those things um, and including the batteries associated with them and what those costs are going to be in the future. And so in the, in the future that we modeled was when you get American solar to the cost of Australian solar and then every all the industry pundits, people like Bloomberg, New Energy Finance, et cetera, they now model the cost of batteries in 2025 at around $80, $90 a kilowatt hour, and by 2030, under $80 a kilowatt hour. Once you get to that point, we can show that the cost of the upgrade of the house and financed um, and the energy savings that you'll realize because of the efficiency of this electric stuff, you'll save every household more than $2,000 a year, which is a $330 billion a year saving for the US economy. So this narrative that it's going to cost us to solve money to solve climate change is simply no longer true. We just need to commit to the industrial scale that will drop the, the cost of everything just that little bit further so that the household economics are positive everywhere. You know, our family has moved every three years. Uh, Wendy and I have been married 38 years. We have seven children, but we have moved literally, if you average it out, every three years. And so, so I'm it's horrible for me trying to do any kind of investments like this because we're then moving to the next place and we're having to do the same thing same thing over again are most folks in australia uh are they are they staying put in one place and not moving i think in australia australians live slightly longer in their house on average I think it's eight to nine years in the u.s it's about seven Australians refinance their homes more frequently than Americans, so they refinance their homes every four years. And I think your question is interesting. So what about, you know, how do we invest in these things? And I'm going to tell you a little bit of history. I really see this recipe that I'm talking about as the infrastructure of your life. So, you know, we've had for 40 years, we've tried to tell you that if you buy stainless steel water bottles and you recycle that we're going to save the planet. What you really need to do is change five or six things in your life so that you're you don't even have to think about it and you do the right thing. You've got an electric vehicle just by driving it, you're saving the planet. You've got an electric heat pump driven by solar cells just by heating your home, you're saving the planet. So we've got to change the infrastructure. Curiously, in 1936, FDR, as part of the New Deal package, invented Fannie Mae. Up until that point in history, mortgages were five years and they had a balloon payment. And the reason a lot of people lost their homes in the Great Depression is the balloon payment came due and they couldn't do it. Huge amount of people were unemployed in the construction industry. So FDR invented the modern 2025 year mortgage and guaranteed that debt with the government and that created the lowest, the largest capital pool at the lowest interest rate that history had ever seen. In effect, FDR declared that the US household was American infrastructure and that it was worthy of special infrastructure quality financing. And that honestly is what gave us that great golden years of America because people would realize the appreciation and the value of this infrastructure. All I'm really saying is we need to do a Jedi mind trick on ourselves and consider the heat pumps attached to that home, the electric vehicles attached to that home, the batteries attached to that home as part of that household infrastructure and the value that you're investing in that gives you savings into the future. Hey, I've got we've got about one more minute left and I have to ask you about this. When I was in Israel, I noticed that all the homes there, both Jewish and Arab homes had solar thermal on the top of those homes not only with the, the solar thermal panel, but the actual water heater itself. Is solar thermal something you're seeing down there, or is it as unpopular in Australia as it is in America? And you've got only about 20 seconds on this. Hugely popular in Australia. We built it out wildly in the 1980s. At this point in history, with 20% efficient solar cells and a COP for a heat pump above four, you're better off doing it with a heat pump and solar cells, and then you've got more of your energy in a more fungible format, which is electricity, and that's what's going to play out in the US. I think the world will see a decline in these solar thermal systems.
Well, where can folks find you uh, on the internet? Take a look at my podcast with Ed Ezra Klein at Vox. Um, then you can look at rewiringamerica.org where we have posted this household study and you can look how much money you're going to save in your state. Um, and then you can see my company at otherlab.com. Casey, good to have uh, good to have Saul on today. Check our Twitter feed. He's a Casey Boyce. I'm at Tim Eccles, the shows at Matters Radio. We'll post more out there. Well, Saul, thank you for being on the show today. G'day, guys. Thanks very much. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks a lot. Stick around. We'll be right back. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. Tim Eccles, your host on the road at one of my favorite places. I'm down at Jekyll Island. I'm actually kind of in the middle of the island with my friend Ben Carswell, and we're looking at some smoldering, um, I guess, uh, forest floor. I mean, Ben, what am I looking at here? Hey, good morning, Tim. Good to have you with us this morning. So we are on the site of uh, a prescribed fire that uh, the Jekyll Island Authority Conservation Department did uh, last week. And um, our effort here is to control uh, and reduce fuel loads in the forest so that if and when we do get a wildfire, uh, it has less potential to be destructive and less potential to be a safety hazard. In the meantime, we're uh, promoting ecological diversity of the plants in the understory, which benefits wildlife as well. So, I mean, this is a part of sustainability, right? Absolutely. Yeah, land management uh, is a, a critical part of sustainability. And here on Jekyll Island, we, uh, we have a, a mission to, uh, to protect and preserve and where we can enhance the potential of the island to support biological diversity. Put simply, that means the, the number of different native plants and animals that are able to thrive on the island alongside people. So I'm looking at maybe years and years of pine straw that, uh, there's a lot of pine trees here, that, that's fallen on the ground. Pine cones, I'm seeing small little sticks, and this debris, as it accumulates, you're saying it becomes a fire hazard? Sure. So over time in any forest, uh, organic matter accumulates as leaves fall, pine needles fall, limbs fall. And in the south, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're blessed with a lot of, uh, lot of growing days, right? And so that's generating that much more fuel. And, uh, and if there's no fire, uh, that fuel can, can accumulate to the point that it becomes dangerous. And so what land managers have been learning over recent decades and what's um, pretty advanced here in, in the southeast is uh, the application of prescribed fire as a tool to control fuel loads. We've got, I think, 26 million acres of pine forest in our state. Uh, it's, it's, big, uh, it's big business for us, uh, whether it's the saw timber 
whether it's naval supplies that are coming out of these trees, the turpentine and this kind of thing. You know, one of the things that we've talked about at the commission, as you harvest trees, and y'all aren't doing any harvesting here, you're trying to protect your, your forest stand, but as, as we harvest trees for saw timber, there's a lot of what's called slash left over, and that's a lot of this debris I'm seeing where there's pine straw or limbs or tree tops or tree limbs, and we've tried to create a value proposition at the Public Service Commission where we can actually go back and pick that up and, and, and chip it up and take it to a facility like Procter & Gamble, like, uh, like Graphic Packaging in Macon, uh, some, some of the D.S. Smith and Riceboro, other places where they're using this residue and generate energy from it, or else it either sits in the field and becomes methane, or what's worse, Ben, is in these large uh, pine plantations, you see them pile everything up and then pour kerosene or diesel on it and burn it in the field where... Uh, where there are no pollution controls and it, it's been somewhat controversial but we've really tried to we've really tried to create a value proposition where uh, where this debris can be cleaned up and then used for another purpose but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about forest management here because y'all aren't harvesting any trees are you no we're not we're not harvesting here on jekyll island and uh, i'm glad you mentioned our, our healthy uh, uh forest industry here in georgia i'm although i don't consider myself a forester i'm a proud graduate of the warnell school of forestry and natural resources at the university of georgia which uh, uh teaches a lot of professionals to do this this kind of management whether it's extractive for industry or whether it's it's uh, for ecological reasons as we're doing here and uh you know, it's it's interesting to make the connection as well to uh, I think to the the, the solar industry uh, in that here in a forest we have a forest canopy that's collecting sunshine for trees to grow and we have an understory and f uh, fire management helps promote uh, a diverse and 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 flourishing understory and so as the solar industry advances it's important to think about those same things you have a canopy of solar panels and underneath it you have the potential for some plants to grow and i'm excited to see the advent of pollinator friendly uh, pv in the solar industry and other methods of promoting uh, e ecosystem functioning alongside solar you know uh, we've done a lot of solar i recently had a group do a a video they were promoting it was I guess it was uh, drive electric week or clean energy week and one of the labels they gave to me was the solar architect and uh, and to Bubba McDonald my colleague the the solar godfather and you know as we've done solar in our state we've done lots of utility scale solar uh, you know, 100 acres, 500 acres, 1,000 acres, uh, but the smaller arrays, like your array here on Jekyll Island uh, at your landfill, these are these are things that uh, that we are really going to see an acceleration in because of our net our new net metering policy that I put into the last rate case, and I I went to Minnesota, Ben, to to some folks that were believe it or not up there they're they're doing a lot of pollinator policy, and I then went to our Department of Agriculture to to ask them to basically codify what a pollinator-friendly solar array actually means so that folks don't mislabel things. But we're going to see more and more pollinator plants. We see this at at Sea uh, Point in Savannah, Allie Kelly at the Ray. They are doing a pollinator-friendly uh, array and we're having more and more people say hey it makes sense if I'm going to displace some land some agricultural land and I'm going to put solar there let's let's figure out a way to kind of give back to the ag ecosystem and pollinators do that don't they yeah absolutely pollinators are critical for 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 ag as well as eco um, and uh, and you know sometimes it's out of sight out of mind because we're talking about very small wildlife in some cases uh, but it's 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 critical. And as you and I talked about last time, you know, one of the things that's special about Jekyll Island is this model of of uh, balancing uh, economic vitality with ecological vitality. And as you know, 
uh, the whole state of Georgia uh, is pretty good at that as well. And so with, uh, with the management of the growth of the solar industry, it's really important to think about wildlife, big and small, and where we site those facilities and how we manage those facilities. My brother, one of my brothers, is a hay farmer, and he was giving me a little ride through some of his hay fields. And we got over to one of them, which was a clover hay and he said to me, we need butterflies to do their part on this particular hayfield. He had Bermuda and another part of the farm, but with clover, he needed that. And these butterflies and bees are, and I know they're tiny, but they are an impo- important part of the ecosystem, right? Yeah, and it's, it's really a hidden diversity. So, you know, people, most people just think about honeybees, but there's all sorts of different varieties of native bees, uh, native beetles that are pollinators, uh, even um, uh, all kinds of different um, flies and not the annoying house flies that you think of that get on stinky stuff. Um, so the, the diversity in the insect world of, of pollination um, is, is, is very important to, to the persistence of native plant species uh, as well as agriculture and is just uh, part of the beauty of the world that we are lucky to be a part of. Let's talk uh, about your solar array because so maybe some folks are tuning in that have not heard about it, uh, but deep in the heart of this, uh, in the north part of this island, there's a hidden solar array that's essentially providing a lot of renewable energy because uh, it's just hopping back on the the lines and providing power to folks on the north end of the island. Some of them probably don't even know they're getting green energy. But uh, tell our audience about how that came about. Yeah, so uh, we have a one megawatt solar array on the island. It's built on the site of, uh, of an old decommissioned uh, landfill and um, was excited, an exciting opportunity. You know, we were looking for, uh, for something that would be competitive with uh, in, in, in Georgia Power's Ready program. And we were fortunate to be able to kind of get in on the first round of that. And um, so looking around the island for a site that was at least five acres and we needed it to be already developed. We didn't want to, to, to uh, clear new land, develop undeveloped land for the purposes of this project. And so the landfill was the perfect site. It was wide open, um, uh, you know, something that's never going to be developed for, for any other purpose. And uh, the Ready program gave us the vehicle, uh, public-private partnership with uh, Cherry Street Energy, which, which owns the facility, leases the land from, from Jekyll Island Authority. Um, JI uh, makes some money on that land lease. Cherry Street Energy makes some money on, on selling the power to Georgia Power. Uh, and Georgia Power makes some money on it. So it's, it's a win-win-win all the way around. And uh, we're working closely with Cherry Street Energy to, to do some trials of uh, the pollinator-friendly um, PV that you and I were just talking about. So we're excited about that. In our last minute on the segment, uh, I, I know that the Sea Turtle Center is here. Folks um, maybe have visited the Sea Turtle Center. It's the former power station for the Jekyll Island Club. Uh, it's been a desire of mine to see that turned into a microgrid of sorts. And uh, I want you to know uh, that I'm still working on that and that uh, hopefully, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, hopefully we'll see that happen in the next uh, year or so it takes quite a while to do these projects as you know but Ben when we come back I want us to talk about one of the characters on Jekyll Island that built the Hollyborn Cottage Mr. Maurice and his family his eight children his wife that built this incredible house that folks can come a- and visit as it's being restored and talk about some of the holiday stuff going on on the island as well because it's uh, it's a really cool thing that you guys uh, have going so stick around uh, I'll be back in just a minute. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. 
Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance that's ev-hybrid.com ev-hybrid.com logan booker producer of energy matters here for better tomorrow solar imagine a world powered by sunlight imagine your home powered by sunlight better tomorrow solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself they've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption its initial cost in some cases they can install your solar panels at no cost then charge a predetermined stable rate for the energy used in other cases better tomorrow solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings find out more at better tomorrow solar That's bettertomorrowsolar.com and see how you make your world better. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. This is Tim Eccles and I'm still on Jekyll Island with my friend Ben Carswell. Ben, how's it going? It's going great. Man, I love coming down here. You know that. We, uh, we, We come here as frequently as we can. It's kind of my base of operations for Southeast Georgia as I do things with various counties down here. So it's a good location uh, near 95. And maybe folks haven't been to to Jekyll Island, but it's one of the treasures in our state, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Jekyll is such a unique place and uh, such a a good spot on the coast to to get to with easy access, to get the experience of being close to nature, uh, but also have the the, uh, ability to to sleep in a comfortable bed at night in a hotel, uh, one of our our, our, um, uh, choices of of good hotels here. So uh, we welcome anybody and everybody to come to Jekyll. Ben, there was a controversial election. We we think we just finished a controversial election. There was a controversial election back in Georgia, um, back in uh, I guess it was 1946, um, where we at one time had three governors um, uh, vying for the governor's office. We had uh, Ellis Arnold. Uh, we had Emmy Thompson, who was the state treasurer, who who uh, I guess was elected lieutenant governor, and then Herman Talmadge. And as uh, as as these guys were were fighting, a deal was made, and Emmy Thompson became an acting governor, and essentially acquired this island by eminent domain for a a state park. And part of the collateral damage of this. Uh, was uh, folks who owned a cottage here. Uh, and most of these folks were from the north. One of the families, the Maurice family from, from Pittsburgh, Mr. Maurice was a bridge builder, he had nine children. I feel his pain. I have seven. Uh, but they were here from beginning to end, uh, from the beginning of the, of the Jekyll Island Club, essentially at, at around 1890 to 1946 when the state acquired the island. And his cottage, uh, he was a bridge builder, and his cottage, the Hollyborn Cottage, where you can, you can do an architectural tour of that if you come down here, was built with bridge technology, uh, and, and it had these these beams holding up the house. So if you if you're an engineer and you love this kind of thing, you're going to love seeing Mr. Maurice's cottage. But Ben, uh, the the Maurice family, the remaining heirs, uh, when the state acquired this island, they were livid that that they were going to lose their cottage. And the uh, two of the Maurice sisters. They took every stick of furniture out of there, and they were so angry uh, in, in, with the state, uh, you know, taking over this island. They even took the stove, and they dumped it in the Jekyll River uh, so that the state couldn't have it. But there are so many stories about what happened on this island, and I'll remind our listeners, this was the West Palm Beach of its day. Now, today, uh, you know, all the rich people in the world in the winter, they go through West Palm Beach. That's just the richest place on the planet in the month of February. But back in the day, it was Jekyll Island, Georgia. It was the all the New York Blue Bloods were here. They had cottages. They stayed in the Jekyll Island Club. And this 
is part of what folks can see when they come to the island, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Jekyll Island uh, Club Historic District, um, and and even the uh, the earlier history with the colonial history with the uh, Horton House site on the island, and uh, and and um, uh, Native American history abounds here as well. Civil rights history. Uh, Jekyll Island is is a great place for history buffs. The historic district, uh, my family and I love it well. We live on the island, and it's a great place for us to um, ride our bikes to on a weekend and just uh, take in that that historic atmosphere and the the stately live oak trees and uh, and just enjoy being being a part of Jekyll Island today. I was riding my bike uh, yesterday with my wife uh, on the new sidewalk that you all did on uh, Beachview Drive. And I couldn't help but think, especially as we toured the Hollyborn Cottage yesterday and seeing that all the walls were made of tabby, uh, which was a mixture of, of, of the concrete of the day. But our new sidewalks, Ben, the sidewalks that are here and anything that we build with concrete, whether it be a parking deck, a cooling tower at Plant Vogel, uh, I-16, there is a there is a measure of coal ash that's in every bit of concrete that you see. And it's a good thing we have a place to put it, Ben, because we have about 80 million tons of, of coal ash sitting at various plants. And I, I want to see us accelerate the the. Uh, you know, the amount of coal ash that gets put into concrete so it becomes inert, right? Get it out of a hole where it can leach into the soil and let's get it into something inert like your sidewalk or something else uh, where it no longer, you know, poses a risk. Um, So that's something you might not think about, but every time I see Every time I see concrete being poured, I'm thinking, good, we're getting rid of more coal ash. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, the concrete industry is another place where uh, innovation, technological innovation is really important to support um, carbon reduction. Hey, let's talk a second about all the holiday stuff going on here in the month of December. This show is going to air both in Athens, uh, Savannah and Brunswick and I want to encourage you, if you have a chance, to hop in your car and take your family down to Jekyll and you pay the $8 to get onto the island. Uh, And there there are uh, so many holiday things going on. Ben, tell us about all of these these lights I'm seeing that are put up that aren't uh, that aren't turned on in the daytime, but it becomes kind of a, a fun thing for kids at night. Oh yeah, you got to get ready for the the annual uh, holiday light show on Jekyll Island, the Jingle Jangle uh, holiday season, as we call it here. So uh, it kicks off um, November 27th. The lights go on, and the tree, uh, the great tree in the historic district, and uh, will be on through January 3rd. It's easy for me to remember because uh, they turn on on my mom's birthday and turn off on my wife's birthday. So how about that? But, um, you know, kids just absolutely love this stuff. I actually, believe it or not, I was out uh, at 8.30 last night uh, driving my five-year-old around the island to look at the, the lights that were up early on people's houses. So all kinds of activities, too, during the Jingle Jazzle season, not just the lights. Uh, you can take a guided open-air trolley tour. You can do a self-guided tour of the lights. Um, a lot of the hotels uh, have have events going on. There's a uh, hot cocoa bar uh, at the Westin that's an open air uh, activity. There's going to be um, fireworks on a couple different dates during the season, and um, you know Santa Claus sightings. Uh, uh, we've got a couple sites spots around the island that have um, have drop boxes for letters to Santa. And so uh, we're really, um, really promoting the spirit here and, and welcome folks to come down and join us in that. Now, Ben, as we think about the pandemic and the impact that it's had on the island, the, the hotels, but m- you know, more importantly, I guess the convention center, uh, I, would, I would normally attend at least five or six conventions here every year, the biggest being the Georgia Environmental Conference that was, uh, that was canceled. Uh, as you guys in Jekyll Island Authority think about this next year uh, and kind of prognosticate what's going to happen, are you seeing more organizations talk about 
being able to come and do something in person with social distancing and mask or kind of what's the what's the inside skinny on that you know i think uh economically the the um kind of freeze of the meetings and conferences industry has been one of the big challenges for us as it as it really has um in a lot of places and so that's that's a hit and and it it hits you know people individually that work in that industry um, but we're excited to, to look forward to a brighter 2021. You know, I think a lot of folks, um, and, and I'm not an industry expert, but I think a lot of folks are uh, kind of looking at the second half of the year as when things uh, are likely to start to really ramp back up and, and rebuild that important industry. Yeah, just in our final couple of minutes, we're standing uh, here at this prescribed burn that you guys did but it's adjacent to your golf course, one of your golf courses. Folks may not know that there that the state has these golf courses here. Uh, tell us about some of the other amenities on the island. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have uh, 64 holes of, of, of beautiful golf on the island, and we uh, we have a um, uh, great uh, history and, and environmental museum, the Mosaic. Uh, just recently renovated uh, with about three and a half million dollars and donated funds through our foundation. If you haven't seen it yet, you got to see it. Uh, we talked about the historic district. Uh, the Sea Turtle Center is is a must see, and uh, they've got a lot of turtles coming through right now that are um, cold stunned, uh, brought from from places where they got stuck up north as when a cold front went through and are being uh, rehabbed and relocated uh, to warmer waters. Um, our campground um, has uh, has stayed busy through uh, all of the stuff we've been going through. Um, our beaches, you know, any time of year are a great place to get out and get outdoors with your family. Uh, biking, you know, we have almost 25 miles of bike trails around the island. Uh, so uh, room to roam here on Jekyll Island, as we say. Yeah, and that's why my wife and I enjoy it. It is room 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 to roam and we we bike here we walk here we just get a lot of great exercise ben thanks a lot for being on energy matters yeah thank you and hey i just want to give a website for folks for all the holiday happenings jekyllisland.com slash holiday check it out hey this is tim eccles catch me on twitter at tim eccles the show at matters radio thanks everybody for being with us and merry christmas to you The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Are you ready to give your employees and customers smooth, secure digital experiences? Then you need Ping Identity as an identity security pioneer. Ping champions your unique identity so your employees can be productive rock stars and your customers can engage with your brand wherever and however they want with lovable digital experiences. I'm the chief identity champion and I'm here to help. Visit pingidentity.com today.